إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد So welcome to uh, another lesson of, of Quranic progression and inshallah ta'ala today we're going to continue with our tafsir of Surah Al-Fajr and we're around about halfway through this surah. Before I begin with the tafsir of this surah, um, as we are entering into this month of March and as we quickly uh, descend inshallah ta'ala upon the month of Ramadan within about a month or so, um, I had something which I wanted to ask uh, you and I hope that inshallah ta'ala you will provide me your answers either here or on the telegram chat group that we have. Uh, one of the things that I have been considering and looking into is perhaps changing the format of the way that we make this tafsir. Uh, maybe so that we can give it slightly more structure and maybe make it easier uh, in terms of certain things. So one of the ideas that I have, and, and you can give me your feedback as to whether you prefer uh, to continue in the way that we are currently doing our tafsir, or whether you think that uh, it is the, the alternative that I have is, is maybe easier or, or so in some ways better. And that is that we actually do a reading of a book and, and we use that as our basis of, a, of tafsir. So it's like almost a, a syllabus, if you like, or a book that we're going to make as our source text. And then what we're essentially doing is we are reading over and above that in terms of adding commentary and mentioning different positions of the Salaf and like what we usually do. So in terms of context, it will be essentially the same, but I think that it will give it slightly more structure, maybe easier for, to follow. And also, therefore, it gives you a source material that you can read um, and, and we can commentate on that. Now, if we, um, you know, if the majority of students on QP were, uh, were Arabic speakers, then that would give us a, a wide variety and range of books that we could possibly use. So maybe we could do something like a reading of uh, Tafsir al-Qurtubi, for example. Or, or we could read uh, one of the other tafsir, such as the Tafsir of Imam al-Shawkani, which is also a very good and beneficial tafsir. Um, however, because I don't think that that is the case, and I think the vast majority of us here are perhaps not uh, proficient in the Arabic language, and English is our main uh, medium of, of learning and studying, then the book that I would suggest, and, and uh, the book that I would nominate, is the book which is the abridged uh, Tafsir of Ibn Kathir, which has been translated into the English language, I think there is about 10 volumes. So that's the book that I would use, uh, because it is it is based upon the book of Tafsir, it's not the full Tafsir Ibn Kathir, it is an abridgment of Tafsir Ibn Kathir, but it is based upon the Tafsir of Al-Imam Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala. Also at the same time then, it gives us something which, so we know that we have a Tafsir that is, uh, because Ibn Kathir, ta'ala, as we know, often bases his his, his positions and, and his, um, his, the opinions that he mentions, a lot of them are taken from Tafsir al-Tabari and other works. So we would base it upon that, and then we would add to it and supplement to it and explain what Ibn Kathir ta'ala is saying. I think that it may give us more structure and in some ways even maybe allow us to progress slightly quicker than we are at the moment. This is something which I just want your feedback in. It's not something which you have to tell me right now on the chat, uh, but it's something which... Uh, Maybe if someone takes the responsibility of just reminding everyone on the chat group, uh, you put it out there in terms of like clearly what it is that we're seeing. Um, and then inshallah ta'ala, people can give back their feedback and allow us to uh, allow us to see uh, what people think. And we will go you know, with the majority. But I, I would ask that it's the majority of people who are, uh, who are actively attending these classes and, and therefore taking part. So... There may be a lot of people who, who watch, uh, you know, who, who, who are on the Telegram group, but maybe they're not actively 
attend each and every single lesson or listen to every single lesson, whether you attend live or whether you listen to it afterwards in terms of a podcast or audio or you catch up because the timing or the, the time zone or whatever may not be suitable, that's all fine. But the point is that it's something which you're actively week on week following. Then inshallah ta'ala you give us your feedback and you tell us what you think. And maybe then inshallah ta'ala in our next year, so the fifth year of QP, uh, we can switch to that and we'll give everyone plenty of notice because those books either you buy them or they're available as PDFs as well. So it's I think either way it's easy for people to inshallah ta'ala get a hold of those works. So that's just something which I wanted to put out there to give people a few weeks, to, a couple of weeks to think about it inshallah ta'ala before the run-up to the month of Ramadan. So last week we were on verses 14 onwards of Surah Al-Fajr and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, after mentioning the the different punishments that Allah Azza gave to the different respective nations that are mentioned in Surah Al-Fajr to the people of Ad and the people of Thamud and the people of Pharaoh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after mentioning that all of that he said Inna rabbaka labil indeed your Lord is always watchful and as we mentioned last week that it's uh, that the people of uh, or the, the scholars of Tafsir said that Ar-Rast, the, the scholars of the Arabic language said that Ar-Rast is the place where upon you watch other people. It's like a watch tab or a place of watching and observation. And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always observing his creation. So he observed what the people of Ad did, what the people of Thamud did, what the people of Pharaoh did, and in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what the people of Quraysh were doing. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows and is aware, Jalla fi ula, of everything that they are doing. And everything is 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 recorded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or by the angels that Allah Azza wa Jalla has appointed to each and every single person. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then goes on to speak about the nature of humans, the nature of mankind. So the people of Ad and Thamud and Pharaoh are mentioned because Allah Azza wa Jalla gave them strength and power and a great many blessings. But they disbelieved in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they used those blessings that Allah Azza wa Jalla endowed them with in order to commit kufr and oppression and transgression and do a great deal of corruption upon the earth. So Allah Azza wa Jalla destroyed them. And it is the nature of man also that when he's given something good from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has a sense of entitlement. And when that good is removed from him, or that good is restricted upon him, then it's something which they feel hard done by. They feel that they have been oppressed. They feel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not given them their due right. So in times of happiness, they are easy and good going. And in times of difficulty and hardship, there are people who turn away from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Azza wa Jalla in verses 15 and 16, he tells us this very clear trend upon humans or in humans. Very clear pattern that we see emerging in many people. Even unfortunately in our time, as we said, amongst many Muslims. So those people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to them goodness, and Allah Azza wa Jalla in both verses, he describes whether it's goodness or whether it's hardship, Allah Azza wa Jalla, as we mentioned last week, describes it as ibtila, as a test and a trial and a tribulation, because both are forms of tests from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rather, the way of looking at this, as we know from the Sharia, is that when you have goodness from Allah Azza wa blessings, then you thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah Azza wa gives you more in return. And when you have hardship, you are patient upon that hardship, realizing that Allah Azza wa even though He may have made certain things difficult upon you, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed upon you many other blessings at the same time as well. And so that is what Allah Azza wa was mentioning in verses 15 and 16 of Surah, uh, of Surah um, Al-Fajr. And we mentioned that some of the scholars said that these verses were referring to specific people. Some of them said this Umayyah ibn Khalaf or 
for example, it's Utbah ibn Rabi'ah, Ubay ibn Khalaf and others. But the strongest opinion is that it is a general verse that refers to the general way of people, especially amongst the people of Quraysh, but also those people who then come after them by extension and do something very similar. So we finished at the end of verse number uh, verse number 16. So now we come on to verse number 17. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He begins this verse by saying, Kalla, no indeed. And we've mentioned a number of times now in a number of the surahs that we've made tafsir of, that Allah often does this in the Quran. It is a very common convention of the Quran. That when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the incorrect positions, opinions, beliefs, whatever it may be of the people of shirk and kufr and so on, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often dismisses it by saying kalla. And kalla is essentially saying, no, that which you think or that which you believe or that which you do in this case, the actions of those people who in times of happiness will say that Allah Azza wa Jal has done them good and in times of, 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 of hardship they will say that Allah Azza wa Jal has humiliated us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says kalla. That is not the correct way. It is not the way that a person should behave or a way that they should, uh, should think. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kalla balla tukrimun al In the translation of Professor Abdul Halim, No, indeed, you people do not honor orphans. In the translation of Mufti Taqi, No, but you do not honor the orphan. Sahih International, No, but you do not honor the orphan. And Muhsin Khan also, No, but you treat not the orphans with kindness and generosity. This uh, verse, verse number 17, and then 18 and 19 as well, there are two different ways of recitation, of reciting this verse, two different qira'at, or two different ways of reciting this verse. The first of them is the one that we all recite in, which is with the ta in these verbs. So the verb here is tukrimuna, and the vast majority of the qura' read it with a ta, saying you. Yeah, you do not, the ta refers to in the, the ta of the beginning of a present tense verb, refers to the one that is being addressed. So whether it's in front of you, so it's you, or it's someone else who's absent, and so on, it could, depending on which letter is used at the beginning of the present tense verb, then it is referring to the one that is being addressed. In this case, it is the ta, and the ta is for al-khitab, for the one that you are addressing directly. So here, the translation would be, you do not honor the orphans. However, in the recitation of Abu Amr al-Basri and Ya'qub, those two of the ten qurra, they recited with a ya, kalla balla yukrimuna al-yatim. And yukrimuna with the ya means he does not honor the orphan. And both of these are very, uh, are correct obviously because they are both mutawatir qiraat from the Prophet wasallam. They are from the ten qiraat. One of them is addressing someone directly and one of them is addressing someone who is absent. And both of those have their place in terms of meaning. Because Allah is addressing the people of Quraysh directly and those people who were rejecting the Prophet and one of the reasons for their rejection was because they considered the blessings that they had of wealth and power and fame and position to be a means of them looking down upon and, and, and showing arrogance and haughtiness towards the believers who generally speaking were poorer, didn't have positions of power, didn't have those same positions of status and authority. And at the same time, yukrimun al-yateen, because it is a general thing, not only found in the Quraysh, but also something which is found amongst many people. It is found amongst all nations, and it is found amongst many different types of disbelievers, not just the Quraysh. And in fact, in our time, it is also found even amongst the Muslims, that it's something which 
many Muslims don't do in terms of respecting and honoring those people that Allah Azza wa has has ordained upon us to uh, to honor. And these verses come after the verses that Allah Azza wa shows the way that the people of Ad and Thamud and and uh, and and Pharaoh, the people of Pharaoh, the way that they behave towards others. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gave them power and strength. So what did they do? They oppressed people. And that's at a macro level, it's at a, it's at a nationwide level, it's at, a, at the level of the state and the rulers, that the people of Ad is a nation, and they are oppressing other nations, and Thamud is a nation, and they are oppressing other nations, and Pharaoh and his people were a nation, a state, and they were oppressing others. But now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings it down to the micro level, to the individual level, to me and you, because also there is oppression that is committed on an individual basis, and from that oppression is this that people do not honor the orphan. The orphan is someone who is also weak. Just as a stronger country overtakes a, a, a weaker country, a stronger country oppresses a weaker country, and we see this in many events you know, in our time, not just in these recent days, but for the past good how, however many years. Stronger countries overcome and, and they try to take over weaker countries and states. But at the same time also, at the same time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that there is also a um, there is also the the oppression that is committed at an individual level. And at the individual level there is someone who has more strength and more, more power looking down upon and harming and oppressing those who are weaker. So in this case Allah is giving the example of the yateem. And the yateem because as we've mentioned before when you're speaking about Surah Takathur and other verses in Surahs of the Quran or rather Surah, uh, Surah Al-Ma'oon and other verses in Surahs of the Qur'an, the Yateem, who is the orphan, the one who grows up, Islamically speaking, without a father, and some cases without a father and a mother, that person is one who is often oppressed. Their rights are not respected. Their honor is not given. And often people come and take from them as opposed to help them and give towards them. And this was something which was very common, as we know, especially in the time of Quraysh. So we have both of these readings. We have the one with the Ta'yu, and the one with the ya, which means he. He does not honor the orphan. And Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, going back to the word kalla, he says that the scholars of tafsir differ as to the exact meaning of kalla in this particular verse. Some of them said, and this was the position of, of Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala, and others from amongst the scholars of the Salaf, that the kalla, the no, the negation, is to negate the previous two verses and the thinking of the people of disbelief. What is that thinking of the people of disbelief? That Allah, if Allah Azza wa Jal gives us good, they say, Rabbi Akraman, our Lord has honored us. And if Allah Azza wa Jal restricts upon them their provision and their rizq, they say, Rabbi Ahanan, our Lord has humiliated us. So the negation, the kalla, is to say to them that actually the reason for your honor and your dishonor is not because of your wealth. More wealth is not a source of honor and less wealth is not necessarily a source of humiliation. That thinking, which is very materialistic, it is very dunya-based, right? And dunya-based, by the way, the word dunya, as we know, comes from the word danu, which means to be lowly, right? The dunya comes from the root word of danu, and danu is something which is low, right? Something which is lowly. And so the dunya is called, for one of the reasons why it is called that is because of its lowly uh, position and its lowly status. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is speaking about negating that thinking that unfortunately in our time even many Muslims have. 
right? If Allah gives to a Muslim, especially those who, who aren't very practicing, they don't have a strong connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah gives to them wealth and Allah gives to them houses and cars and many other types of materialistic possessions, they consider this to be a source of their honor, even if they have very little connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in our time, they look down upon people who may be more practicing or maybe closer to the sunnah or people who love Islam more in terms of their physical, uh, you know, in, in terms of their actions and in terms of their character, they look down upon them because maybe necessarily they don't have the same type of wealth and the same ability to have that type of wealth. Uh, and other scholars, Imam Tabari ta'ala, he continues and he says, other scholars said that the kalla, the kalla is to negate or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is negating the way in which those people behave, meaning that they would only praise Allah in times of happiness as opposed to times of weakness or types of times of hardship. So in times of happiness, they would thank Allah, Rabbi Akraman, my Lord has honored me. And that is good and well. But in times of difficulty and hardship, they would not. So the first position, which is the position of Qatada, is the mindset. And the second position, according to some of the scholars of tafsir, as that Imam Al-Tabari mentions, it is to do with the wording and it is to do with the statements that are being uttered. And Imam Al-Tabari himself, he chose as the correct position, the position of Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala. And that is because he says, because of these verses that will now come apart, because of where they're oppressing the poor, they're oppressing the orphans, they're oppressing all of these people that Allah Azza wa Jalla now mentioned in these coming verses, shows that it is a mindset issue. There's not just an issue of them thanking Allah in one case and not thanking Allah in another case. That is part of it, no doubt. But the bigger issue here is a mindset issue, that they would consider someone, for example, who is a poor person or who is weak, or who is someone who is a yatim, that they would dishonor them and that they would consider them to be lowly and not worthy of the same honor as someone who has wealth and status and power and position and authority. Uh, Imam Al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, Kalla raddun, the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, Kalla, no indeed, is a refutation. A laysa al-amru kama yudhan, that the issue is not as you think. فَلَيْسَ الْغِنَى لِفَضْلِهِ وَلَا الْفَقْرَ لِهَوَانِهِ because richness or wealth is not a source of honor, nor is poverty a source of humiliation. Allah gives to people wealth and he gives to people poverty, all because of the decree that he has put in place, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why there are people who are poor, as we know, in the sight of Allah, they are greater and higher than those people who are wealthy. And there are some people who are wealthy that Allah also has, they have in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also a great deal of honor. And there are people who are wealthy that Allah does not love or like because of their disbelief and their evil. And there are people who are poor that Allah does not like and love because of their evil and their disbelief. And so in all of those categories, you have good and you have bad. And that's why, as we mentioned last week, the way that the Muslim looks at this is not the way that other people look and measure these types of things. For the Muslim, they must have a very clear lens by which they assess, they analyze, they look upon these issues. Because the person who is rich today may become poor tomorrow and the person who is poor today may become rich tomorrow. What measures a person in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as Allah Azza wa tells us in the Quran, that indeed the most honorable of you in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are those who have the most taqwa, the most piety, the most fear of Allah Azza wa are most conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's what Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now moves on from the past verses, meaning verses 15 and 16, from the evil statements of those people to now their evil actions. And this is a, a very nice uh, statement of Imam al-Shawkani. The previous two verses are the way that those people speak, right? The, the words that they utter, the sentences that they say. And now in these verses onwards, 17 onwards, Allah Azza wa will speak about their evil actions. And both of them clearly are connected. Ibn al-Qayyim uh, rahimahullah ta'ala said, this surah speaks about how people are, uh, he says that this surah is a surah that speaks about how people become deluded by power, biquwatihi wa sultanihi wa by how people have become, um, you know, by people, how people become deluded by their power and their authority and their wealth. And from amongst those people who became deluded by these things were the people of Ad and the people of Thamud and the people of Pharaoh, who were, who were uh, you know, the people of Ad were, were deluded by their power. The people of Thamud were deluded by their ability, their technology, the, 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 the different things that Allah Azza wa gave to them. And the people of Pharaoh were deluded by the wealth that they had and the power that Allah Azza wa afforded to them. All of them, Allah subhanahu wa ibn Qayyim ta'ala says, all of them Allah Azza wa destroyed. To show that a person, to show that a person, to show to a person that these things are not in the sight of Allah Azza wa the means of salvation. And then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala speaks about the halul insan, the situation of a person, fi liman min, and the way that they deal with those who are weaker than them, such as the orphan and such as the poor person. And Allah Azza wa then go on, as we will come and see, <coughs> he goes on to speak about how people are entrenched with these things, such as wealth. And that is why in the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ told us that it is from the greatest of fitna, from the greatest of fitna that Allah has given to people, the greatest of trials and tribulations is the trial and tribulation of wealth. <coughs> as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says himself in the Quran, fitna. Indeed, your wealth and your children are a source of trial for you. Muqatil uh, said and and going back again to those people or those scholars of islam who said or scholars of tafsir who said rather that these verses are speaking specifically about a group of individuals from amongst them was muqatil who said that it speaks about umayyah ibn khalaf and he says that it's referring to umayyah ibn khalaf and his treatment of a a, um, a an orphan who was under his care and the way that he treated him and the way that he withheld his rights from him and the orphan was a man by the name of Qudama ibn Mad'un. Qudama ibn Mad'un. And Qudama ibn Mad'un, radiallahu anhu, later become a, a companion. He was from the companions who, were, who participated in the Battle of Badr. And he is from the uncles of, uh, he is the brother-in-law of uh, Umar ibn Khattab, radiallahu anhu. So he is the uh, brother of the wife of Umar. So he's uncle, basically, to Hafsa, radiallahu anha, and Abdullah ibn Umar, radiallahu anhu, majma'in. And so Qudama ibn Mad'un, as a child, was under the custodianship and the care of Ubay ibn Khalaf. Ubay ibn Khalaf, as we know, was one of the leaders of Quraysh and one of the leaders of disbelief who was later killed. And he, it is said, according to Maqatil, he was from amongst those people who did this. And as we said, whether it's something which is uh, established or not established, even if the verse is speaking sometimes or referring to, according to some of the scholars, an individual uh, in the first instance, the meaning is general and it applies to everyone who takes that description as is mentioned in the verse. Uh, Ibn al-Jawzi said, how do these people not honor the yatim? And the yatim, as we mentioned before, is the one, Islamically speaking, has no father. 
So even if they have a mother alive, but their father is, has passed away, they are still considered to be an orphan. Why are they considered to be an orphan? Because in general, you know, our convention in the West is an orphan is someone who has neither father nor mother. It's because historically, the father was the one who had the strength in terms of his position in the family and in the tribe and amongst the community. And if he died, then sometimes the own family members of the child, such as his own uh, paternal uncles, his, his fathers, his now deceased fathers, brothers, and cousins and so on, they would come and they would often be the people to inflict oppression and harm upon uh, their nephew or, or that child that is a relative of theirs. And the wife would have very little ability, the mother would have very little ability to stop and to do much about it. And this was very common also in the time of Quraysh. This was a very common phenomenon in the time of Quraysh. And that is why Islam considers a yatim. And so therefore our, our concept of, of yutam, of, of orphan, of being an orphan in Islam is wider. And it is more general than the concept in the West as it is today. Because in the West, if you have one parent or your mother is still alive, you're not considered to be an orphan. So you don't get the rights of the orphan and you don't get the, the, the due of the orphan and so on. Whereas in Islam, no. We have a much wider concept. Even if you have your mother still alive, you still considered you are still considered to be a yatim or an orphan. Ibn al-Jawzi in his tafsir, he says, How did they not of orphan? How did they not honor the orphan? You do not honor the orphan. What does that mean? He said in two ways. The first of them is that they wouldn't show them any honor, physical honor, that they wouldn't help them, they wouldn't give them love and care and attention and affection. You can imagine this is a child now who's lost his father, doesn't have a father figure, doesn't have anyone to look after him in the way that a father or someone who would normally take that position as a father, such as, for example, uh, you know, a grandfather or an uncle and so on, they don't do uh, what is required of them in that instance. And the second is that they don't give to them their rights that they are due from inheritance because it was well known amongst the people of Jahiliya that they wouldn't give women and children especially orphans and children, they wouldn't give them their rights in terms of inheritance. Now that's not something which is, as we know, across the board. It's not something which all of the people of Jahiliya, all of the people of Quraysh and the Arabs used to do. But it was something which was common amongst them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala points this out because of the evil nature of this. Whereas amongst, otherwise amongst the Arabs, we know that there are people who did the opposite, that they were very good. And our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is a good example of this because he's also an orphan sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But after his father passes away, we know that his grandfather takes him in and he looks after him and he cares for him. And after his grandfather passes away, his uncle Abu Talib takes him in and looks after him and cares for him. And that is one of the uh, you know, one of the fada'il, or if you like, or one of the virtues of the household of Quraysh and the household of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in Quraysh. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was honored in that way. And that is why Allah, the Prophet said in the famous hadith that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose from all of creation Ismail. And from the children of Ismail, Kinana. And from the children of Kinana, he chose uh, Quraysh. And from the people of Kinana, he chose Ismail. And from Ismail, he chose Quraysh. And from Quraysh, he chose Banu Hashim. And from Banu Hashim, he chose me, meaning the Prophet. So Banu Hashim, because of the honor that they had amongst themselves, the goodness within them, from their, obviously, their jahili traits, from the way that they just generally were in terms of the honor that some of the Arabs had, they were very good towards their orphans, including and especially our Prophet wasallam. despite the disbelief that many of them had because a number of them, as we know, died upon kufr and upon disbelief.
Uh, Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after he corrects the thinking and understanding of people when it comes to his provision or lack thereof, so whether Allah azza wa gives or whether Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala withholds, after he corrects this perception by saying kalla and by rejecting the notion that the Arabs had or that the Quraysh had, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now speaks, he says, about the reality of the trial of what? It's good parts and it's bad parts. And that is from the, the worst of its evil parts is that it's not used for ways of goodness, in, in manners of, of goodness. And so Allah Azza wa Jal, for example, when he says, and this is the point that Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti makes here, that when Allah Azza wa Jal in the previous verses, when he was speaking about the people who praise Allah in times of goodness, what do they say? Rabbi Akraman, my Lord honored me. How did, how, why did they say Allah honored them? Because Allah gave to them wealth. But in turn, despite having that wealth and what they consider to be an honor from Allah Azza wa Jal, when it comes to those who are weaker than them, Allah says, لا تكرمون. And Allah uses the same word of ikram. And ikram is generosity and kindness with honor. That you are honorable to someone in terms of the way that you deal with them. And in terms of wealth, the way that you spend upon them and look after them. There they're saying that Allah Azza wa Jal akraman, He honored us. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying what? The opposite. That there are people who don't make ikram of others. And so this person, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin ta'ala says, this person who is extremely weak and orphan, who requires people to look after him and help him and fulfill that role that a father figure would fill for him, which is now, you know, it's a big empty space that has been left behind once his father has passed away. Instead of helping them, they are the people who turn away from this. So even though those some of them considered it to be a mean of a means of honor and station that Allah had given them wealth and given them a great deal of wealth, when it came to helping those people who were less fortunate, they were people who turned away from that. In verse 18, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then goes on and he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and you do not urge. Uh, this is the, the translation of uh, Professor Abdul Halim. You do not urge one another to feed the poor. And Mufti Taqi, and do not encourage one another to feed the needy. Sahih International, you do not encourage one another to feed the poor. And Muhsin Khan, and urge not one another on the feeding of Al-Miskeen, the poor. This is the second attribute, the second action, the second evil way in which those people who were given wealth, and despite the honor that they had, or what they considered to be the honor that they possessed, they didn't use that position, that wealth, that honor that they were so glad about to help those who were less fortunate than them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَحَاضُونَ عَلَىٰ طَعَامِ الْمِسْكِينَ And there are a number of qira'at uh, here also, a number of ways of reciting this. One of them is the one that we just recited, which is the recitation of the reciters of Al-Kufa. And Abu Ja'far, and that is that they read it with an alif on the ha. Tahaduna ala ta'amil miskin. The second way of reading this is without the alif. Tahaduna ala ta'amil miskin, and that is the reading of the likes of Nafi' and Ibn Kathir and Ibn Amir. And then the third recitation is again without the alif, but instead of the ta, it has a ya. Yahaduna, and that is the recitation of Abu Amr. 
and Yaqub. And Abu Amr and Yaqub are the ones who put a Ya in the previous verse on Tukrimuna, they made it Yukrimuna. Here they do the same as well, but there is a further change, and that is that the Ha, does it have an Alif or not? Tahaduna, the Alif upon the Ha, the Mad, that is the recitation of the Kufi reciters, and those are Hamza, Kisai, Asim, and Khalif al Ashir, and Abu Ja'far, so five of them. And then the others read it without the Alif Tahaduna or Yahaduna. And we will speak about the, what, what it means and, and what it refers to uh, in a short while. Um, and Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his, in his sahih, when he comes to the tafsir of this verse, he says, Tahaduna means that you do not protect, that you do not protect the needy. Or tahaduna without the alif means that you do not order that they should be fed. And Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says that these are people who do not order that the poor and the needy be looked after, nor do they encourage one another to do so. Meaning that they themselves don't do it, nor do they encourage others to do it. So it's not something which they do themselves, not something which they actively do, nor is it something which they like from others, that they should see this from others that they should be doing as well. And so this is, and this is why you have those two different qira'at. The one that with the alif and the one that isn't with the alif. One of them, tahaduna, is to encourage, to urge, to to motivate others to do it. Just as, and that is why you know in our in our religion, as we know, when you see something which is which is good, it should inspire to do something which is good. And if you're in a group of people and you encourage them to do something which is good, then it's something which you get a reward for. You don't do it for the sake of those people. You do it for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, as we know. But to do it in that setting with sincerity, in the hopes that you will encourage them to do good as well, is something which is uh, which is very rewarding as well. And that is why the Prophet told us, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in the hadith, man sanna fil islami sunnatan hasana, whosoever, uh, whosoever performs an act, a sunnah, which is a good practice, someone who does the good practice first, then they will have its reward and the reward of everyone who does something similar, and likewise the one who does an evil practice. They get the sin, and the sin of anyone who follows them in that way as well. And so that is why the Prophet وسلم, as we know, on certain occasions, such as before major battles and so on, he would gather the companions in the masjid, and he would openly ask them to give sadaqah. Even though the general hadith, as we know, there are a num- num- number of hadith, a number of, of prophetic narrations, where the general, the general uh, if you like, recommendation, is that you give sadaqah secretly, you give it privately. And no doubt to give it privately in some settings is better for your ikhlas, your sincerity, you know, your, your, your integrity that people don't see you, that you don't show off, that you don't have any type of, of haughtiness and so on. And that was the, the practice of many of the, the, the Salaf as well. Because the Prophet told us about the hadith of the people who will have shade on the Day of Judgment from them is the person who gives so much so with their right hand that even their left hand doesn't know what it is referring to. Meaning that, that is their level of secrecy. And that is why you have those stories of the likes of, for example, Zainul Abidin, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, the grandson of Ali radiallahu and the great grandson of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that in Medina he would often go in the night in the darkness and he would go and he would carry upon his back sacks of food and he would give wealth to the poor and he would give them charity and they wouldn't know who it was. They would wake up in the morning and they would find the food outside of their door, not knowing who it was. And they only realized that it was him after he passed away, rahimahullah ta'ala, because then that type of sadaqah finished. No one came and did it anymore. And they realized that he must have been the one doing it. And also when they came to wash him 
for his ghusl, before his janazah, they found upon his back the markings of the sacks that he would carry upon his back and the, and the markings that he would leave in his skin because he would did this continuously day or night after night for many, many years. So you have a number of those narrations that speak about this in terms of being secretive. But then there are a number of hadith in which the Prophet openly asks the companions to come and give. And that is usually at a time when there is a great need, a general need. So there's a difference between me, for example, wanting to give sadaqah, and I want to go and help my cousin, I want to go and help my neighbor, I want to go and help someone poor in the community. That's something which I do secretly. It's for my own personal sadaqah. But then there's a difference when the whole society needs something. We need to open a masjid, or we need to extend, have an expansion of the masjid. We need to, for example help the Muslims who are suffering in another country, there's millions of them suffering and we all need to come together. Or for example, in the time of the Prophet when they would go for battle, when they would go on war and they needed to equip the Muslims and the army that was going to fight. And those are the situations then when the Prophet openly asks in the masjid, come and give me your sadaqah, come and give me. And that is because they inspire one another. So one person comes with an amount and the next and the next and the next and it encourages, it is mutual encouragement, mutual motivation. And that is something which is greatly, uh, you know, it is greatly beneficial in those types of circumstances. And it is something which we know that the Prophet ﷺ did and practiced throughout his life, alayhi salatu wasalam. And from them is the famous stories that you have of Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu an, and the great amount that he would give of his wealth and sadaqah and sadaqah, and he would keep giving and giving and giving until the Prophet ﷺ promised him paradise radiallahu anhu warda. And so that's something which you see. Here Allah Azza wa is seeing that the opposite takes place. These are people who don't give themselves, nor do they encourage anyone else. In fact, what they will probably do is that they will disobey them. They will stop them. They will prevent them from giving that type of charity. And it's not just in charity, but in our times you see it in many different things. Someone wants to go and study Islam, or someone wants to dedicate themselves to a study program, or they want to attend a tafsir class, or a hadith class, or whatever else, and people are like, why are you wasting your time? Right? Why are you doing this? Why? Maybe you could just listen to it afterwards. And people just try to discourage you. Right? And how many stories have we heard of people, for example, sisters wanting to wear the hijab, their own family members discouraging them. It's bad enough that they don't do it, but now they're discouraging other people from doing it as well. And I remember clearly as a, as a as, and many of you will remember something very similar as a young person when you go to someone and you see them praying or, so, or you say, I want to pray. And they not only don't pray themselves, but they discourage others from praying as well. Right? And I remember more on, on one occasion, and I remember this very vividly, uh, that someone, I overheard a conversation between two people. They didn't know me, I didn't know them, but I overheard, overheard this conversation. And one of them was saying, and they were both young people, one of them was saying that I want to go and perform Umrah. I want to go and make Hajj or Umrah. And the other person said, yeah, but if you go make Hajj and Umrah, then you can't mess around anymore, right? You have to like start practicing. You have to pray You can't because you made Hajj and you made Umrah. You can't just go and go back to being the way that you were. So why don't you wait till you're like older, maybe in your 60s, 70s, you know, when you're retiring, then go once and, and just make your Umrah and Hajj because, you know, you're kind of like towards the end of your life. And it shows that, and these were both Muslims, shows that type of thinking where not only does a person have or think that they have that guarantee that they will live firstly till that age, but secondly, it's not only that they don't want to do it themselves, they discourage others as well. And that is worse. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have these two qira'at, both of them, be- both of them beautiful because they complement one another. As the Imam At-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala said, both of these meanings are correct. They don't do it themselves, they don't encourage or let anyone else do it either. And that is worse. 
It's worse than the one who doesn't do it themselves because of their own issues and their weakness and so on. But when other people do it, they won't stop them, right? They won't discourage them because at the very least they're going to do it. And maybe sometimes they will even facilitate it for them despite their own weakness of not being able to do it themselves. But this situation where a person doesn't do it, they don't allow others to do it, that is something which is extremely, uh, extremely evil. Al-Imam Al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, uh, and the meaning of this verse is that they don't allow their family and their people to feed the poor who come to them. Right? And this is upon the qira'ah of the one with the alif that they don't mutually encourage and help one another. Uh, Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, and now Allah Azza wa Jalla in this verse, he speaks about the way that they treat the poor, that they leave them empty-handed, empty-stomached. And these are people who don't have, and I remember we said that the word miskin in the Arabic language uh, comes from the same root word, root word of sukun, and a sakin. And sukun is essentially to be tranquil, to be still. Sakina, right? Sukun. All of these are words that come from the same root word. And the miskin is called, uh, comes from that word of sakina, of being still and tranquil, because they don't move much. They don't have anywhere to go. They don't have much reason to move because they are stuck. They're too hungry, too weak, too needy to be able to move and to go and look after their affairs. And so Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that these two verses that Allah Azza wa mentions, whether it's the previous verse about not honoring the orphan or this verse about not helping or feeding the poor, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the previous surah that we did, which is Surah Al-Balad, that these are the two things that allow people to overcome the aqaba. Remember those difficulties that Allah Azza wa Jalla we spoke about in Surah in Surah Al-Balad. Allah Azza wa Jalla says, That a person should feed upon a day of extreme hunger and poverty. Yatiman maqraba, an orphan who is close, or miskin and matraba, or a a poor person who is downtrodden upon the earth. Ibn Ashur rahimahullah ta'ala he says that when Allah Azza wa Jal upon the recitation that they don't urge one another to feed one another, he said the negation of them urging one another shows that they themselves don't feed. Because if you're not going to allow others to feed then it's more likely or less likely that you're going to feed anyone yourself. Even though we have the other recitation as we know in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that more explicitly. And he says that the word ta'am here, wala tahaduna ala ta'amin miskin. He says that the word ta'am here refers to any type of food. It is a general wording. Ta'am means anything which is food. So it's not that they have to give the best of their stuff. It's not that they have to give you know, the most amount. It's not that they no anything which would be considered food would be sufficient. But they don't do that either. They don't go and help those people that are extremely poor and needy. And that is why helping the poor and needy in Islam is something which is from the greatest of actions and from the greatest and most beloved of deeds to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's something which the Prophet would encourage over and over again. But remember in the time of the Prophet the poor and the needy amongst the Muslims were people of afaf. They were people who had honor and dignity. They were people who were beggars, meaning that they would go to people and and hold on to them and, and demand stuff from them and so on. That wasn't the general rule because that is also something which is disliked in Islam. They were people who had, despite their poverty, despite their how, how difficult their situation was, they had a level of dignity and honor and respect because that is what the Sharia orders us to do. The Sharia orders you, even in the most difficult of circumstances, to have that level of self-honor and dignity.
And that is why if you look, for example, at the stories of the people of As-Suffa, you don't see them going around begging and holding out their hands, but the Muslims were aware that they were people who were poor and homeless and needy. And often they would be given help because it would be from the generosity and the goodness of the hearts of the Muslims, not because that they were demanding. If you look, for example, at the story of Abu Huraira, radiyallahu anhu, when on, in, in the incident when he's extremely hungry, and he's in the Masjid of Isha, and he walks with Abu Bakr radiyallahu in the hopes that he may be invited home. But Abu Bakr radiyallahu leaves the Masjid, and he gives him stamps and he leaves. So Abu Huraira sees Umar radiyallahu anhu, and does the same, walks with him for a short while, in the hopes that he will say, come and eat with me. But again, Umar radiyallahu anhu, or also Umar radiyallahu anhu, doesn't do so, and he leaves. And then he sees the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam sees in the face of Abu Huraira extreme hunger. The point being that Abu Huraira doesn't ask, doesn't say to Abu Bakr, take me home, I need food, please help me do it. No, because he has that level of trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that is why it is something which is, uh, you know, which Allah azawajal refers, refers to in the Quran. Ta'rifuhum bisimahum la yas'aluna nasa ilhafa. You know these people, and Allah Azza is praising these people of poverty who have that level of respect and dignity. That Allah Azza says that they don't go around outstretching their hands, asking people. These are the people that are most deserving of your, of, your, of your help. And there are people like this in every community, I think. In this country and other countries, there are people who people, other people don't necessarily see or notice. There are the people who are hard up. Maybe it's a single mother with many children. Maybe it's someone who's having a difficult time because they've lost their job. Maybe it's someone who's extremely uh, ill or they have a disability, they need help financially. Whatever the circumstance may be, a widow, whatever it may be. The point is that there are people there, but they don't go around asking people or begging because they have that self-respect in them. But you know from yourself or from other people around them that there are people who need help. They could do with some extra. They could help. They could do with someone giving them something more to help those people and those individuals it is something which is extremely beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is said that Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma would refuse to break his fast or to eat his evening meal unless there were poor people with him. And if he came home and he found that there was no one poor with him, he would say to them, pack my food, give me my food. And he would go out and he would look for those people and he would eat with them every single day. And that is because it is something which also humbles a person, brings within you humility that you see the situation of those people and you sit with them, right? And it may be in different countries in different ways. I remember living in, in, in Saudi Arabia, many of the workers that used to be there, like the poor workers, the people who are the laborers, you see some of them are very, very poor because they're saving the money that they're making and that money is worth a great deal to them because they want to send it back home to help their families, which means that they live in a level of poverty. To help those people, to give them a small amount, to give them something which to you maybe is only a few quid, but to that person, it's only a few pounds to you, a few dollars, whatever it may be. To that person, however, it is something which is a great amount, something which really has a great deal of of value uh, to them. You know, to to uh, help someone who's who's trying to run a, a shop and and they're not making much profit or they don't have a lot of money, and they ask you for like you know you you owe them eight pounds and you give them ten pounds, then you tell them to keep the change. It's not something which is a big issue, and it's something which you know we do in other places. You know the the tipping culture, where you go to a restaurant and you leave a a, a you leave like a tip for the waiter or for the staff. You know that's fine, but there are people who need that type of help, and we don't do the same for them. <clears throat> so this is something which uh, you know which 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 we have to uh, look at. And Imam Tabari, uh, rahimahullah, in his tafsir, he speaks about the different qiraat that we have here. 
the Qira'ah of, as we said, of, of the people of Kufa, and then the Qira'ah of Abu Amr and Yaqub, and, and also he speaks about this uh, in his tafsir, and he says that all of these are, f- uh, are good Qira'at, all of these are well-known Qira'at, and as we said before when we did the, the biography of Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, that Imam al-Tabari was from the Imams of Qira'at. He was someone who was well-known for his Qira'at, someone who is one of the Imams of Qira'at, and he says that each one of these meanings is something which requires or something which has its place within tafsir of this particular verse. Ibn Ashur ta'ala, he says that Allah in this verse he speaks about these people that neither do they help the orphan in the previous verse nor are they people who are able to encourage one another to help their, uh, to help the poor and to help their needy. And it is seen from this therefore that from their wealth no one has a right in terms of the needy and those people who require help. These are people therefore who are miserly and stingy. They're people who despite what Allah has given them of blessings and honor, they don't really give any sadaqah and they don't really help for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they're people who keep their wealth and they hold on to it as much as they can. In verse number 19, and this is uh, just a short verse, so we will inshallah ta'ala uh, finish with this. The third of the actions that Allah refers to here is You consume inheritance greedily. And in the translation of, and that's the translation of the Halim, and I think the translations are pretty much um, similar. Mufti Taqi, uh, he says, and you devour the inheritance with a sweeping gulp. And Sahih International, and you see, consume inheritance, devouring it altogether, Muhsin Khan, and you devour the inheritance all with greed. And this is also a verse in which their uh, Abu Amr and Yaqub replaced the ta with ta'kuluna with a ya, ya'kuluna. You consume, he consumes. Right? And again, speaking about those two uh, tenses, either of speaking to someone directly or speaking to someone who is absent. At-turath, wa ta'kuluna, at-turath, ta'kulun means literally to eat, but it can mean to consume, it can mean to, and it is often used in this way as eating because that person benefits from that wealth. They use it to feed themselves, they use it to clothe themselves, right? So they, they use that wealth in ways that are nourishment to them. And also because it is a means of devouring. So from one of the meanings of akala or ta'kulu is to devour. And these people devour that wealth, right? It's like that they've taken it up, they've sweeped it up, and it is something which gets accumulated with the rest of their wealth, and therefore it is something which has become devoured. At-turath means al-mirath, as Ibn Kathir ta'ala says, al-mirath is inheritance and we know as we've mentioned a number of times previously that one of the things that the Arabs used to do is that they would devour the inheritance of the young the children and the women folk they would not give them any part of their inheritance any share of their inheritance and so when Islam came it it upheld the rights of everyone the child has rights in terms of inheritance even if that child is only a few months old and their parents pass away they have a share of that wealth that is due to them that a child can become a millionaire if their parents were millionaires. And that child has the share of that wealth and that inheritance and likewise the women. Whether it's the mother, the wife, the daughter, the sister, each one depending on uh, the situation of inheritance, each one has a right to this particular wealth. Ibn Abbas said, means that you eat it uh, greedily or you consume it with a great sense of ferocity. Uh, Al-Hassan rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, that you eat, means that you eat your share and you eat the share of others 
as well. And Imam al-Bukhari said something very similar. Ibn Kathir said, Akla Lamma is referring to them taking all of the wealth, whether it's halal for them or haram for them. Right? Whether it's halal for them or whether it is haram for them. Uh, Imam al-Tabari said, that these are people who devour the wealth of inheritance that doesn't belong to them, meaning it belongs to others and they don't leave anything behind. They devour all of it and they don't leave anything behind. And this was the statement of Al-Hasan al-Basri and Qatada rahimahullahu ta'ala. And Imam al-Qurtubi says something very similar, that these are people who devour the wealth of others and they don't think and stop to think, is this wealth halal for me, pure for me, permissible for me? Or is it something which is not allowed for me? And we know that the people of Shirk would not allow their women or their children to inherit, but rather they would take their own shares and they would take their shares as well and add it to their own. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. And with that, inshallah ta'ala, we will conclude for today's lesson. If there are any questions, inshallah ta'ala, we will uh, take them. Let me see. Last week you said Qantara is a good sign for a believer because he will enter Jannah, what about the pond where if someone doesn't follow the authentic sunnah will be rejected from drinking, will he still enter the Jannah after that? Allah knows best, I don't know so those people who come to the pond of the Prophet and then they don't find uh, or that they are removed from by the angels, uh, what is their position? I don't know Allah uh, the video you did with the Q&A from Lisnad, will it be uploaded? I don't know, to be honest, it was done on a Zoom thing, uh, it should have been uploaded to be honest with you, I don't know I will. I will have to check uh, Hasi is asking regarding the Islam program, where can we access the Q&A? So again, I don't know. Uh, I will check with the brothers from the Masjid. We did that as a Zoom link, so it wasn't done on YouTube. It was done like as a Zoom call. I, I assume they recorded it, uh, but I will ask them, inshallah ta'ala, and then um, we will see. By the way, for those of you that are interested in the Islam program, we have our own YouTube channel. Uh, so it's not just the Guinean Masjid one, but we set up a separate YouTube channel as well, which I think would be good for you to follow. So if you type in Al-Isnad, uh, you know, the way that we, we spat it um, and my name, uh, I think you should probably come to that channel one way or another uh, and it's probably a good idea to like it and so on and so therefore um, it may be already on there, I don't know, I didn't check but I will, I will inshallah ta'ala ask someone bithillah ta'ala uh, prior to Islam, when you say the Quraysh wouldn't allow the women and children their shares of inheritance, what were the inheritance laws prior to Islam? The inheritance laws prior to Islam was that the men take everything so it was normally the strongest man. So if it was, for example, the uncle, the paternal uncle, and it was usually always from the father's side because they are considered to be, you know, the asaba, they're considered to be the people who are responsible for uh, their families. And so therefore they were the ones who would take that wealth. And so it's something which they, uh, you know, which they did. So um, there were no laws per se, as, as much of the Jahili society, there was nothing in terms of laws, there were no court. There was, it was very much like the tribal system of, you know, winner takes all of the strong, take whatever they please. And so this was one of the things that they used to do in terms of taking the inheritance of the women and the children. Okay, so inshallah ta'ala, we will conclude there today. Barakallahu feekum. Wa sallallahu ala bin Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.